You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you just want to ask your mom. Welcome back to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. Um, Renee and I said when we started this podcast that we were going to be honest and real, and we're going to talk about a whole wide range of subjects that we want most specifically to encourage other moms. Um, so sometimes that includes how to make it to nap time, right? And sometimes it includes fun road trip memories, but it also includes some harder stuff that might just need to be aired because in one way or another, it touches all of us. Yeah, so today... We have our friend Jenna King here. She's graciously agreed to share her story with us and with you. Uh, Jenna is a young mom who's a nurse, and we've known her for a good while. She was in one of our um, parenting classes when her oldest son, Charlie, was just a little guy. Mm-hmm. And she and her husband, Dalton, were such a sweet, faithful family. And it wasn't too long after that class, Jenna, that right. you began um, expecting again your second child. And this is where today's story begins. Yeah. So, you find out you're pregnant, super exciting, everybody's happy for you, we're all excited, and um, can you just tell us, uh, just tell us the story from that point forward. Once you found out you were pregnant, what happened after that? Okay, so first, thank you so much for having me here. This feels, um, I don't know. It's, um, it's a big deal for me to be able to be here emotionally, to be able to talk about this. So thank you for inviting me. Um, but like you mentioned, um, we actually worked really hard for that second pregnancy. So it was about eight months of conscious effort. And then we found out we were pregnant and it just felt, you know, you just have those perfect picture moments for your life. So we felt like all was right in the world. You finally see the pink lines. Um, And it was right after Thanksgiving. So we um, unfortunately couldn't even get into the doctor's office until January. Um, So I think I was about nine weeks before I could get in to confirm that pregnancy. And and we did. um, And everything was, of course, fine that early uh, for us. And then... Um, Was that early enough to hear a heartbeat? You heard a heartbeat and the whole night? Yeah, actually, so I knew my OB from Charlie, so I was a little dramatic because they couldn't find it at that first nine-week appointment. So um, I begged her for just a quick ultrasound to find the heartbeat, and they did, and it was perfect. I have a picture of that little nine-week-old gummy bear, and, um, and, you know, that was it. You know, we just thought that we were on that perfect road to Mm -hmm. a baby, and so I guess it was around the 12-week appointment. Um, I don't remember the exact week, 12 or 13, where you find out, um, where you do your blood work, and I was sitting in the chair getting my blood work taken, and I'm a big birthday person, and this was in February by now, and my husband's birthday's in a couple weeks. So this was like exactly three years ago. Okay. Almost. Um, and I was sitting in the chair and I was like, a simple request of, could you add on the genetic test to find out the gender? And they were like, yeah, sure. Didn't really care about the cost at that point. <laughs> um, but it was a very quick, um, just a simple paperwork. And I was going to be able, I had planned this out to tell Dalton for his birthday the gender of our baby is a surprise. And I think... Great idea. Was, yeah, he, not, was he wanting a girl, something different than Charlie, or did he not care? Um, I think we were both team girl. Yeah. Um, I think I knew pretty early. I just, I don't know. I had, before my blood was drawn, I had a girl's registry on Amazon Uh-oh. already done. <laughs> like, I just yeah. feel like I knew, and yeah. I don't know if I wanted it or what, but maybe intuition, I just was like, this is a girl. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and so, but I, he was team girl too. I think he'd tell you he was team girl. So, you know, it takes about a week for that blood work to get back. And everybody at my work was actually on board with this. Like, um, a fax was going to come through and they were going to get the paper, put it in a card I had written for his birthday and seal it. So me and him would find out together as a surprise that night. 
Um, yeah, and I planned this like I felt pretty quick. I was very impressed with myself, and that's actually where like our story begins. And um, we I never got a fax. Um, Okay, I got a phone call at work, and um, the doctor um, who called me just said I needed to come into the office. And I, at that point, I was a critical care nurse. I knew exactly why I didn't get a fax. And, um, or at least I thought the worst immediately, um, which was accurate. And so I just said, please tell me over the phone. And, you know, she told me that the genetics test came back positive for trisomy 13, um, which is a non-compatible with life diagnosis. And so she's What a way to say that. Yeah. Non-compatible, Non-compatible with, with diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yes. And she didn't tell me that over the phone. She just said, you're positive with trisomy 13. Come to the office. Well, Dalton still had no idea. And this is his birthday. So I had to call him on his birthday. Actually, my boss had to call him because I was hysterical on the floor. Um, so he quite literally had to pick me up, um, not knowing what was going on. Just knew something was wrong. And he took me to the doctor's office where... We, walk, we were ushered to her office, and I remember, I just remember a white piece of paper. It was a very clean office, and there was just a white piece of paper on the desk, and I walked over to it, and it said, gender female, trisomy 13 positive. And, you know, we were both just in shock in that moment, and it was very um, overwhelming. Uh, the It almost just didn't feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, we just felt... You know, you hear these things happening, but you really don't know how it goes down in that moment. And we both were, it was very heavy. Um, we left that appointment still with the diagnosis, but it almost wasn't 100% confirmed. This was a Friday. It wasn't 100% confirmed until that following Monday. Um, we had to have an amniocentesis. They go in and do a little fluid sample mm-hmm. to confirm that... Um, the baby that was inside of me had this genetic disorder. So uh, we spent all weekend just silent almost. Yeah. <laughs> but you're feeling fine. Yes. Never, yes. Like you're not sick. There's like no outward indication. And, you right. know, for all you know. I was on cloud nine. Thinking it's, the that's wrong. It's got to mm-hmm. be wrong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, they told us a couple scenarios where it could be wrong. I was like, of course, this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is not my life. This is not my story. Mm. Um, um, I had had, you know, those moments of where you just want God to use you um, to do something for his kingdom. And I had been thinking that for a while. And so when all this started to come together, I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, not oh, this. I was yeah. like, not. And that was my first reaction was like, absolutely not. Not this. Um, but it was. Mm, it yeah. was that. <laughs> wow. So that's how that's how it all got started. That's how we found out. So how did how did you what were your choices from that point forward? They you said that she was not compatible with life. Did you have a name for her yet? Um oh that's a good question. I don't know if we had settled on the name by then. No, we hadn't because it. I had just, I knew it was a girl, but we didn't have the confirmation. Mm-hmm. Like that day was the confirmation it was a girl. So we hadn't named her at that point. Um, but uh, what did you say before that? So, Sorry. so um, you. Oh, my options. Your it's options. Just, like you, you yeah. didn't. Ha- you hadn't named her yet. I did two questions. So you hadn't named fine. her. <laughs> and and then what? I'm mean, like, what? You know, they said she can't live. So you go back in and they confirm that. Yes. So, but well, she's alive. Exactly, which is what threw me off. Like, I was so surprised because when I was in the doctor's office, they mentioned abortion, and they were telling me that I could have, um, there was a way to have an abortion. Um, I didn't go down that route, so I don't know if there was, um, legally, if I could have it in Tennessee. I think I was 14 weeks. They were talking about how I'd have to go in front of a hospital board you know just we're talking about all these options mm-hmm. and I was just overwhelmed but at the amniocentesis um which was the following Monday she was alive she was moving and her heart was beating I mean she looked perfect you I mean if you have 
had the privilege of being in an ultrasound to see your baby, it looked just like any other baby. It looked just like our Charlie. And I was like, what? Like, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't understand how those two things went together. So at that point, it was really a pivotal moment for us because I was like, the safe, my first question was, is she in pain? And someone looked at me and said, she will never be happier than she is where she is right now. And I said, then that's it. Then it was a very pivotal moment of where we both were just like, I'm gonna carry her and she's gonna stay exactly where she is in her happy little warm cocoon for as long as I can have her. And so we just were on the ride, hmm. you know, on that roller coaster of, okay, what next? So did you know at that point, um, did that mean that you could carry her to term or that she might, you might miscarry before birth? So they told us the majority of these diagnoses is miscarry um, by I think 24, 14 to 24 weeks. And we were right around that 14 mark. Mm -hmm. And so we were told like it probably wouldn't be much longer. Ah. And so that I remember it being a really hard time because I was off, you know, of course, the people that were around me when I was at work knew why I wasn't there and you know my bosses were very gracious at the time and they gave me a very long weekend but nothing had happened she was still happy and living inside of me and I had to go back to work knowing that any moment I could just not have her right. and so you know life goes on and you know your whole as much as you feel like your whole world stops over things like this the, your world might, but the world doesn't, exactly. and that was hard. Isn't um, that the most uh, appalling? It is appalling. Maddening yes. <laughs> thing about grieving is that right there. Yes, I don't. I still look back, and I don't know how I walked as a critical care nurse on the outside and had the internal turmoil that I had on the inside. Um, it took a toll for sure. Mm. Um, yeah. So how did you hold that with you? How did, how did you hold that for the rest of your pregnancy? How did you? Yeah, I'm wondering the exact same thing. How I'm did going, you carry how that? do you, what are you, you've got to wake up in the morning, put your feet on the floor, mm -hmm. take care of your Take son. care of your child. Yes. How in the world? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had this glorified answer to that question because I've thought about it for a very long time. And, you know, my life, I feel like, is rooted in my faith in God, and I leaned into that faith during this whole process. Um, my entire life, I have always um, put God first, and I've always, or tried to, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect, but I've tried to put God first, and I, I felt like, okay, if this is, you know, I, I felt like I kind of asked, maybe not for this, but I asked for him to use me. And if this is where I'm going to be at in life, then use me. Um, if this is the road you're putting me on and I don't have another choice, which having an abortion was not a choice for me, um, then use me. And I just felt like I just went with it. You know, every, just like you said, every day I put one foot in front of the other. And I leaned into my family and I leaned into my friends. And some days were hard. Um, but days were also busy, you know. Um, I did have a, a small son and a house and a husband and friends and church. And, you know, it's just, you know, life still kept going on. So there was parts of that were distracting. You know, work was still there. Um, I was working three 12-hour shifts a week. So those were days that almost felt like they were gone. <laughs> um, I just woke up and kept going. And I wish I had a magical answer for anyone that would be hearing this, but I, I just feel like the best answer I can give is, is I leaned into what I knew, which was God is always good no matter what, and you know the people that love you are there for you, and I used those two resources and just kept going. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> just wrenching. I so, <laughs> I wish I had something else to say. Do. No, that's a great answer. Yeah, it's not, I, I wasn't looking for a magical answer. I just, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. I'm hearing your story, and um, 
we've had a podcast about like when it's really hard to do the next thing mm-hmm. and, and you've mm-hmm. lived that mm-hmm. like moment by moment really hard to do the next thing mm-hmm. day after day week after week yes because she didn't come in the early 20 weeks no no surprisingly and I I got put on you know high-risk pregnancy because of the diagnosis so I actually had ultrasounds every three weeks which I've never had a normal pregnancy, and so from what I hear, that's crazy. Um, I guess most people only have like three their entire pregnancy. Yeah, do we even have three? I think they have some. They're like, hey, no. you're good to go. Go eat your Oreos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, I wish that was my case. Um, yeah, I I had an ultrasound every three weeks, and it was or in the beginning, um, or at that around that time, um, and I just felt like I really reached on and maybe it was overreaching but I really held on to like the little things like how awesome is that that I got to watch her grow mm. um in that way because now I did don't get to watch her grow on earth um mm. and I mean I have an album of just pictures of ultrasounds almost every three weeks and then every two weeks and um of course the story doesn't just stop with that diagnosis I had uh, gestational diabetes um, really badly so there's more ultrasounds and you know it's just a little bit of I don't know if you can even say a light but I tried to find little lights in it and I felt like that was one of them is I got to see her a lot and mm-hmm. Dalton went with me every time so we got to see her a lot so when did you get to meet her um, it was a long 22 weeks of carrying her with that diagnosis. Um, I'm assuming you mean the end, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so it was, um, around, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell a little bit of the story before that part. Um, at 35 weeks, at that point you're going in every week. And I, and I remember seeing you, if I can interrupt, you were big pregnant. Yes. I mean, you, I mean Sister, you're almost I think, to terms. Yes. I mean, yes. you, you were, you went through the, so many weeks and. Yes. So I was at 35 weeks and laid in the pregnancy and big in my round belly. <laughs> I was, I was yes, all over you, the I place. Do. I can, and I, I can remember your sweet little round belly. It was, <laughs> oh, it was not little. Um, diabetes is awful. Um, but yes, I was 35 weeks and he actually had to check to see if I was dilated. And I was actually one centimeter at 35 weeks. So he's like, we, might meet her and there was there's a whirlwind of life that happened around that time um, between the 32 and 35 weeks of me having to prepare for the opposite of what I was told in the beginning like I could she I was told that she would probably be born alive but only live for a few minutes Mm -hmm. or who knows but we had to prepare for her coming home with special needs so I had I had to meet with hospice, I had to get a special needs wheelchair, um, and there's just, you know, it's ironic because at the time I was so excited to buy something. Um, I remember I bought a coming home outfit. The first thing I had ever bought for my baby was like at 35 weeks. Um, you know, just, yeah. it, you know, just a weird way to think about it. but. Um, so anyways, I got checked. I was one centimeter. He said we might be meeting and I think him checking me progress started helping my body progress into labor and, um, that week was really hard. It was really different. Um, my body changed, her movements changed. Um, and I just, if for me and Dalton, there was nothing medically that you could that we wanted to do for her because it wouldn't change her. She was always going to have this diagnosis. We didn't want her to suffer. She was happy where she was inside of me, and if she took a breath on earth, we didn't want her to suffer. So with me feeling different in my pregnancy, um, I just held tight to I held the tightest I've ever been to God in that moment because I knew that this is it and I felt a lot of things changing 
Um, I didn't rush to the ER because, like I said, I wouldn't have had a C-section to bring her out and let her suffer. Um, these are just things that we did think about, and these are the plans that me and my husband had made for our daughter, and we felt like it was the best for her. So I waited a very long seven days, and then the 36-week checkup came, and we went to the ultrasound, and I can remember every single thing about that day because we walked down the hallway, um, towards the room and I almost fainted because I knew that like I was gonna get confirmation right and you know my husband he's grabbing me and he's like I know baby we just got to do this so we went <clears throat> we went into the room and you know it's just like a normal apartment we're sitting there waiting <laughs> way too long and you know they hook us up and, right. and meanwhile there's other women in of the, course yeah yeah ready for totally different outcomes out in the waiting room that just kind of Yep. Make things a little harder. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you're that late in the pregnancy, everybody's asking when you're due. Exactly. And, um, but we just got hooked up and I mean, I was already crying. Um, and I was at this point, like, where's the heartbeat? And as soon as she went over the heart and I saw the chambers not moving, um, I just, I just, you know, Mm -hmm. I lost it Mm -hmm. for lack of terms. And, um, and that was on July 16th of 2018 and I was induced which is a whole nother story um and we met her the next morning um on July 17th she was born five pounds seven ounces and I know and that whole time she was so like they were like yeah she's in the one percentile one percentile I'm like this is a five pound baby Mm -hmm. like it was so bizarre to me to hear how sick she was um, a lot of times and but we our plan was to have um, a vaginal birth and we did and she was placed immediately on my chest and um, me and Dalton just um, held each other and her for most of the day Mm -hmm. and talk about yeah you want with yes. that but because so, there's some really crazy things that they have out there <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm curious too so at the the beautiful there's many beautiful points I think to this story mm-hmm. um, the way you held that the way you um, just forged through it yeah. with mm-hmm. your husband and with your father in heaven um, but one of the most beautiful parts of the story which I think have has already touched so many people because they've it's been shared. Mm-hmm. You have a blog yes. that you kept all along this this journey. Um, and it's called what? Evelyn's Basket. And why? Dot com. <laughs> um, okay, so at the end of the day, when it was time for her to leave, um, the funeral home comes to pick her up, and they came to pick her up. And at my perception at the time was probably very one-sided you know you you know if you can even remotely put yourself where I was at um, nothing could have been right Um, so this is not um, an insult by any means but to me it was just the worst thing you could pick her up in (laughs) Um, and it was just a very bright hot pink nylon purse type wow thing Um, and I just I don't know could it have been the most perfect thing perfect basket which is where the um, name came from and it it probably would have still felt wrong but um that's how she left we rolled down this nylon purse and we had so many of her blankets um, that people had given us and um we wrapped her up in the swaddle that matches my robe and you know we said our goodbyes and she left in this pink purse and i don't know i just i couldn't handle the way that she left mm-hmm. I didn't handle it very easily for a while and it just bothered me and it kept I felt like I just kept getting this nudge to do something about it so I was doing some research and I actually had a really good friend whose family work has a funeral home um, owns a funeral home and she was like have you ever heard of a Moses basket so I was introduced to Moses baskets and which is just a woven oblong basket and um I bought one, Um, I had a plaque with her name engraved on it, and I donated it to the funeral home so that way they could use that in um, the future for picking up Mm -hmm. babies. 
Wow. So um, in my blog, I talk a lot about that, and that's kind of where the name came from, Evelyn's Basket. Um, so why don't we just say her name? What is her full name? Yeah. <laughs> Evelyn Renee King. Evelyn Renee. Yes. With two name. N's. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's where the basket, that's where the name came from, Evelyn's Basket. Mm-hmm. And uh, the blog actually was a beautiful therapy for me. And I didn't want to forget the tiny details um, <clears throat> so she was born in July, and I found out in October that there's a search, there's a such holiday called Infant and Pregnancy Loss Awareness, and it's October 15th every year, um, which is so bizarre, you know, you can't, and I think I mentioned it in my blog, you can't fundraise for these types of things, you know, it's just an awareness day that I think gets kind of pushed to the side a whole lot, because a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't want to talk about pregnancy loss or infant loss. It's a huge hole in their heart. And I'm just, um, I don't know, I felt like I could not talk about her. So I sat down and every day in October, most days in October, I sat down for four and six hours a day. I'd stay up almost all night. I'd be in the bathroom on my lunch breaks or something and I would just write and I wrote and I researched and I did like kind of like a chronological story, my story, her story, um, in a blog format, just kind of talked mm-hmm. and vented, and it was so therapeutic. Um, yeah. But I talked about the basket, and it kind of just became a, a small fundraiser. <laughs> so, so how many have you? So ah, I just neat. did like a one-time fundraiser, and I got enough money, and I bought 13 baskets, and it's um, actually carried a lot of guilt because I felt like those 13 baskets should have been dispersed immediately across the world. You know, like that was just mm-hmm. my thought with it on. I carried, I still have guilt, but I just have carried this guilt of like, you know, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough. But I got 13 baskets and I've um, made five into funeral homes so far. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's turned out beautiful because people come to me and they say, I've lost a baby, what can I do? And I say, I've got a basket in my garage, what's the name? And I find out where the baby was picked up from and I take it, you know, and I, call, I try to call a funeral home or a funeral home of their choice and I've, I've delivered some around Nashville and Memphis to people who have come to me and said that they've lost a baby and I do it instead of in honor of Evelyn I'll put Evelyn's basket in honor of their baby and deliver it to the funeral home and it's you know all that guilt I set my own timeline and I think that's a big thing that's a big lesson that God's taught me is my his timing is perfect not mine and so I set my own constraints on this story and I think he's using it in different on his own per you know his own timeline yeah mm-hmm. um, so it's been really neat to see that unfold to try to help people as I meet them and I still have several <laughs> in, yeah. my, in my garage right now I think that's amazing that's yeah. just amazing to me um I'm wondering would you tell us a little bit about um your marriage because um yeah. you know, Bonnie and I were reading um preparing for this interview, you read articles and statistics and yeah. the toll that this kind of trauma takes on a marriage. Yes. Um, what did you guys do to, to get through that? What did you do well? Maybe what did you do not so well? I think, I think, I think it's pretty common for husbands and wives mm-hmm. to um, process a miscarriage or pregnancy loss very differently, as you very. can imagine. I mean, you're the one carrying this child. Right. You're the one having already bonded with this child in a mm-hmm. different way. Um, and a lot of miscommunication or, or hurt, I think, can happen between husbands and wives just because they're processing differently. Did yeah. you guys? So I think that? we, of course, had some of that at different times. I think because of our diagnosis and the fact that the weeks kept growing and we kept, you know, I kept growing and she kept growing, we involved the family, like, fiercely. Like, Dal- like I mentioned before, Dalton was at every ultrasound, but... He always had his hands on my belly. Charlie prayed on my belly every night, um, who's my older son. And, you know, Dalton was 
just so present. He always had his hand on my belly. Um, he talked to her. And so I think during the the main pregnancy, to answer your question, I think we, I think we survived. Mm-hmm. Um, after she, you know, we did the best we could with that situation, and I think it was um, good for him now. In how long you know it's been? Um, like I said. Uh, She'll be, she would have been three this July. So to be out from her birth that long, I can see where him being so involved back then is good for him now in his grieving process. Um, After she was born, we went in completely opposite directions. (laughs) Um, You know, I was, I was broken to say the least. I was, um, I felt shattered. I felt changed. Um, and I'm sure he might have too, but I, I, I show it emotionally. Um, anxiety, depression, um, and he got busy. He had spent all those weeks, you know, my whole pregnancy kind of protecting me and protecting her. And after she was gone, he did more to our house in the two months after she was born than he's done in the five years that we lived there. And so he just got busy. And, you know, I think that was just the way he processed. And we've had a lot of life since her life left us. We've had a lot of things um, happen, um, you know, and I just think that her story made us so much stronger as a couple because we stayed in it together in the beginning and we're not like by any means perfect because now I still have my moments of emotional Mm -hmm. you know it comes out in not doing chores or um you know him picking up some extra slack and I think some of this you know some of uh the things that are surfacing now can are related to that, you know, because a lot of people want to put a timeline on grief, and there's no such thing. There's not, can we just say there's not a timeline? There's if it not. takes you the rest of your life, that is okay. It is. It's there's there's a book that is. It's just okay to, to not be okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so I think that you just have to have honest. And open communication because, you know, in a moment where he's like, you're not doing enough, I'm like, this is what you get. This is all I can give because I'm mentally on a level way down here. And, you know, and that just brings us closer together. We come back and we, you know, talk about things and we just keep moving forward. And yeah. Which you give each other so much grace. I'm just picturing you that. You do. Like you the, really do. To, to fight against the resentment when you're not. Mm-hmm. That's just a normal dynamic of marriage. When you're, you know, the yeah, the not pulling your weight, the other not pulling their weight, but to know that that's going to keep, rear, it's going to keep rearing its head. You're going to keep mm-hmm. peeling back layers. Yes. Of grief. Exactly. And you don't know when it's going to happen. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it tends to blindside at just random times, like mm-hmm. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, so, Jenna, one of the things that I noticed, um, partly felt myself, Renee and I have both experienced miscarriages, and I know really a majority of women do. Mm-hmm. Seven, Something like 70% of all women experience this, right? Uh, a miscarriage. Now, in your case, with the loss of a child, it's only, it's like another 1% on top of that. Mm-hmm. It's very much, much smaller. But um, so many of them carry this feeling that it was somehow their fault. Or, you know, the terminology that they, that society typically uses is, well, you've lost, you've lost the baby. Right. So, so somebody did the losing and somehow, you can see why it exactly. would be, what did I do? Somehow it's my fault. I'm the one carrying your did, body you, did you feel you. any of that? S- some. I think a lot of, I don't know, I felt like I was saved, if you could even say that word, from that stigma because it was a genetic disorder. You know, like you can't, like genetics is the one thing you can't really alter from the past, I guess. And so I was just, I just felt like I couldn't have done anything different 
but then in in the beginning but then towards the end we had made it so far I mean 36 weeks and I felt like she got in the birth canal and my body failed her um and I had a lot of issues with that like and I've heard that from other people like who've um you know just randomly have miscarried they you know, they're mad because their body failed them. And, you know, this is the one thing as a woman your body's supposed to be able to do. Mm. And you can't do it. And um, I felt like I got so close to birth, so close to hearing her breathe. And then she couldn't make it through my body. And so um, her heart was too weak to make it through. And so I was mad at myself for a while for that, mm. you know. Yeah. I think a lot of that's grief, but... That was what I experienced. But, yes, it's so hard. Women are so hard on themselves in general. Yeah, we are. That's a, that's a whole nother. <laughs> that's a whole Why we're so mean to ourselves. Um, something I'm thinking of, because, um, okay, I knew you from class. Yeah. So, but like a casual life saving class, by the way. We <laughs> did it saved my life too. That's why I'm teaching. Um, but like, it just as an acquaintance, I didn't know you yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So I want to say that caveat before I say my observation, if you'll allow me. Okay. Um, so when I first met you, and y'all had your little guy, and you're in our class our first time, you were this happy-go-lucky young couple, mm-hmm. very um, lively, fun-filled. You know, even now telling this story, I hear a lot of laughter in your voice and that kind of thing. And then I just watched you from afar, really. I can get through this. <laughs> um, I watched you from afar. And I saw you suffer so well. I was astounded, really. I was astounded. Um, and I know I'm not the only person who was watching you. Um, I saw this, you know, kind of young woman, like lots of us are, you know, with very, very few serious cares in the world, come, right. come face to face with one of the worst things you can possibly hear. And I saw you come out on the other side of that. You were so, um, I was trying to describe the words to Bonnie earlier. You were so grounded. You were so. Um, it was like a. It was like you were this. This statue that was in the rough before, and there was this beautiful. <laughs> um, this beautiful yeah. figure emerging because um, I didn't sense any bitterness. You, maybe you had it, but, but what I'm what I'm sensing from you was no bitterness was this deep grounding in the Lord way beyond your years, way beyond your years. And I was like, that is a woman who has decided, like, I'm going to suffer well. That is a woman who, um, I read a quote, I wrote it down because I wanted to say it. It's a Christian art to comfort yourself in the Lord. And that's what I, that's what I observed Mm-hmm. I was not an intimate part of your story, but I could just see it that you were comforting yourself in the Lord. You were telling yourself the things you just told us you were telling yourself. Like, there's other things you could have told yourself. Um, like, instead of thank you, I got to see all these beautiful pictures of my baby. Like, why are these the only pictures I get to see of my baby? You know, there's we always can flip it. Right. So brave and so strong. So courageous to do that and so I just wanted to say that to your to your face because I've said it to so many people I've never said it to you I'm like that is a beautiful woman more beautiful by far than without the without the trial the child beautified you I don't think I've had a bigger compliment than that <laughs> Sorry, Dalton. Take that, husband. And I also feel like I'm kind of going to let you down after, <laughs> after you say that. Because it, like you mentioned, it, it's so easy. And I don't want anyone to walk away from this podcast and think that I had it together perfectly. Because it is so easy 
to flip it. And trust me, that's, I feel like where Satan comes in mm -hmm. because the things that you say, you say you observed are not the flesh's first reaction, mm. in my opinion. And I, I did struggle with some of the stuff you mentioned. And I, and I honestly felt like I struggled more with it after. Like mm -hmm. when I was pregnant, I just felt like I was, I don't know, maybe just trudging forward. And I just kept going and I kept going for her. And after she left, I didn't have her mm -hmm. to really rely on for that type of support. And I, and I, let, I let my flesh overcome me a lot um, after she was born. And I felt like I've let myself down. So I feel like I might let you down saying this. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's just so easy to have this. Um, it's just easy to take the easy way out. And sometimes it's it's easy to just blame other people. And trust me, I was mad at God after. Mm -hmm. You know, but I feel like um, that that's just not how I wanted to portray the situation to my son. I wanted him to grow up and look back on this and hopefully maybe other people will too um, to see that um, having a relationship with God matters. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I feel like, the only way I got through it in the way that I did. And again, thank you for what you said. Cause, um, <laughs> that's really. I can remember. Really I mean, it's it's very true. It's um. I can remember seeing you across the room in the big, big fellowship hall at our church, and it was like you were carried along by grace. No, oh, wow. And um, it was after she was had been born, and um. It's. I mean, it's real. Like our sanctification is real. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm your living proof. Like I saw you. You're not the same person. That you were before God took allowed you to go on this journey. Yeah, and I had to mourn that fun person that was in the class. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, like I was, that was the right assessment. Fun, yeah, loving, fun. I would think so. Yeah, I think funny. I would think that me and Dalton like to have fun, and I just felt like that was stripped when we were fighting through this, and I had to figure out who I was after because. You know, you're, we were thrown into it, obviously, with a, with a phone call, and we fought through it for uh, 20, 22, 23 weeks, and then after, it was like, okay, now who am I now that she's not here, and it's been, I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like a, a lot, I'm still learning a lot on how I want to portray myself, how I want to let my thoughts you know, take, I mean, I guess that's everybody. everybody. I mean, yeah. like, that you can't, <laughs> that's everybody. But just, uh, you know, geared towards our specific situation, it was very much um, just God-breathed to get to where I'm at, to be able to talk about this today because it just feels, I don't know. <laughs> well, you'll always be Evelyn's mom. Yeah. Just like you'll always be Charlie's mom. They're gonna Charlie's gonna grow up someday and go off, sadly, to college or wherever to his path leads him. You'll still be Charlie's mom. Yeah. And you'll still be Teddy's mom. Which I, I love. Yes. So please tell that part of the story too. Yes. Oh my gosh, Teddy is the newest member of the Kings. <laughs> um he um much like Charlie, we were not expecting him. So he I was just this, you know, they call them rainbow babies. Um, just this calm, beautiful after the storm. And I don't think, it was very early back, like, I think I delivered Evelyn in July and I was uh, pregnant by December. Um, very unexpected. Um, and I think that was a lot of the growing. Um, I mean, obviously we went. I was not anywhere close to being ready for it, but God thought I was, so here we <laughs> here. It's timing again. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah. But timing not all of us understand sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's um, 16 months, and he's crazy. and Adorable. He's beautiful. 
these beautiful little boys. Now I'm, I got a house full of boys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, May which, the Lord be with you. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> which makes me think of my daughter every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't. I think I probably would regardless, but. I see a house full of boys, and it, I just feel like I'm in a corner with me and my girls sometimes. You know, like, she's watching me watch them be crazy. and <laughs> um, But, yeah, he's, you know, three king boys now. <laughs> Sweet little daddy. Yeah, I yes. love that. I have a question that um, I don't think Bonnie and I talked about ahead of time. But, um, so we lost a friend too soon to cancer. She was 40. She was diagnosed 42 when she died, and um, wow. at that time, that's I, I like. I kind of had always believed in heaven, and I didn't really have, give much thought to it. You know, you're in your teens and your 20s, and you're living your life, busy in your 30s. Sure. And then you, um, somebody your age dies. Right. And um, I really dug in and was like, I want to know where she is. I want to know what what happens. Yeah. You know, in the end, um, did you have any of that with Evelyn, or had you already kind of sorted that out in your mind? Um, mm. Did you dig in more after she died? I don't. No, I don't think I dug in more. I just I think that I had to know that's just where she's at. I don't know how else to put it. Like, like for me to be able to. Um, be okay with everything that was going on. And I mean, it says in the Bible, um, maybe you can help me think of the verse because I can't right now. Um, but you know, just the innocent are with him. And to me, it was just like, well, that, that's her, you know, he's talking about her. Um, and I just don't think that there would be any other place that these babies that aren't here with us would go. And, you know, how it works, I'm not a Bible scholar. So how it works Mm -hmm. after, I'm not sure. But, you know, I think everybody likes to think, well, they're with Grandma now. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, Grandma's Mm -hmm. holding her. And that, you know, that's such a sweet thought. And, yes, my grandmother, one of my grandmothers is in heaven. And it does give me so much comfort to know that her and other people that I love are, you know, holding her. Um, but no, to answer your question, frankly, I don't think I dug in more. It was just, you were already there. You already knew. I just, you to know. Yeah, yeah, I just felt like I did. I just yeah. felt like that's what I believed. Mm-hmm. That's, I believed that before I had this story, but so I was just okay with that. I was like, mm-hmm. well, she's with him now, mm-hmm. um, with, you know, in heaven. Oh. Where... Which makes me think about Charlie. How do you talk to him? How old was he? Oh man. So that was. A whole nother beast, and I think I cried more at breaking his heart than I have about a lot of the story because he was, I think, the originator of us having a second child. Like, he came to me one day and was like, Where's my baby? And I said, What? <laughs> and I said, What do you, you know, I don't know what my mind was thinking, but it was not on having a second child. And I was just so happy with this perfect little first baby and wasn't thinking about a second. And so he started us like oh yeah he's like three like we should probably get on that and um so he started us just daydreaming of a second child and then I think after we found the diagnosis he spent the night with my family and so the next I mean I cried all night just knowing that we were gonna have to tell him that because he knew we were pregnant of course we announced it to our entire family around Christmas time in December and then of course we didn't find out about the diagnosis until February so everyone in our family knew and um we just knew that we were gonna have to turn around and tell him and we told him his you know his baby is sick because that's what he called them my baby um she was my baby and so you know your baby's sick and throughout the whole pregnancy you know he would talk about everyone sleeping in his room and we would have to gently remind him like you know, that's a beautiful thought, honey, but, you know, you remember your baby's sick. And he'd say, yeah, I know my baby's sick, but um, I would just want her in my room. And, you know, they have books about this stuff, which is so crazy to me. Like, little child 
put like I mean cartoon books that you're supposed to read to your kids about um, I think one of them's called um, why I got a angel instead of a baby or something similar to that or I got an angel um, why I got an angel and it's just I just had no idea that these things existed <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I would have never ever mm-hmm. thought to even remotely look for this stuff and it you know beautiful resources but um they're just so resilient you know I just feel like you've probably mentioned this I probably got it from one of your podcasts I've listened (laughs) to but um kids are just so resilient I think you're actually talking about I remember about forgiveness Mm -hmm. um and I think it's the same way for trauma and I wrote a letter to him in one of my blogs because I wanted him to know how much I watched him and how much he was a part of my healing because he was three, he turned four in May and she was born in July. So he was three the majority of the pregnancy. You know, tiny little human and he would go and get me tissues if he'd see me crying. Or, um, you know, he would always say, "Uh, Mama, I wanna hold you, which is his way at that time of saying, will you pick me up? Yeah. And, I, you know, couldn't, uh, you know, once you got so far along in the pregnancy, I couldn't pick him up. And I'd say, you know, I can't right now, baby. How about we sit together? And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, my baby's sick, um, so I'll hold her too and stuff. You know, he would just say these things that would just comfort you and break you all in the same same moment. But I just felt like he didn't skip a beat, you know, when she was born – he was so happy. Um, we guarded some of it from him. Um, there were parts of it that we wanted to guard him from, but he did get to see her. He didn't get to hold her, but he did get to see her, and he was so happy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, can you imagine a, a four-year-old seeing a lifeless baby? Mm-hmm. You know, and he was, he was just so happy that his baby was here. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I wrote him a letter and I wrote some of this stuff down to see how how many mistakes I made in the future (laughs) because you know he's gonna come back later and and remind me of things that I had no idea but just the thought process I wanted him to know how amazing he was um from my perspective and so I wrote him a letter and I'm just really curious to see you know how that transcends into the future and what a treasure for him to have and for him like like I mean, Renee's not the only person, like she described, that was watching you go through this. You know, he was watching you go through this. Yeah. Um, and you have no idea. I don't. What impact that's going to have on his faith and his walk. I mean, at such a tender little age, to have those things planted in his life, it's just un- unspeakable, I think, I, I, beauty that yeah. will come from that. I mean, at six, he's six now, and at six, he doesn't... Um, when we talk about our family, he's like, well, you know, there's five of us, right? You know, he reminds us, like, we need reminding. And yeah. and then at night, he um, he prays for her every night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God, he'll include our compassion children. And so he'll say, and he includes them with, you know, we've had to make sure he knows that compassion children are alive. <laughs> um, but um, he, he bundles them all together. It's like, God, you know, be with them and give them what they need is what he says. Yeah. And it's just like. What a yeah. beautiful prayer. That's and beautiful. to be six, you know, he's just, I put him on a pedestal, but I think. <laughs> I'm his mom. I get to. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You're allowed. Right. You're allowed. That's exactly right. So, um, I think I misspoke earlier. I think I said 74% of women have miscarriages, but only about 20 do. Um, 74% of them feel guilty for it. Ah, so, gotcha. yeah, anyway, yeah. we all do, but so it's one in five. Yeah. One in still, five still way more than you think. And when you, I know in my experience, when I had that happen and told somebody else, I mean, people just come out of the woodwork and it's like this total, complete, silent, unspoken thing. Like no one ever said that to me. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you, that's your experience, then they're just everywhere all of a sudden. So I wonder why, why is it that we don't talk about it? Why is it right. such a secret, silent sort of loss? And um, just most recently, I think I mentioned to you, um, you know, you see Chrissy Teigen and her yes. husband, John Legend, came out with, um, she put the pictures of their loss on Instagram and yes. they were pretty raw and honest. 
and got a lot of criticism for that. Right. Um, and then Meghan Markle, you know, all these famous celebrities, they can do it. And um, which I think opened the door a little bit. It does. To people saying, you know what, it's a normal part of life. It's a sad, terrible part of life. But why do we have to do it alone? Right. And I think people on that higher platform, when they do it, it probably closes the door for some because they see that criticism and I feel like that people are afraid of that Hmm. so I'm so glad that they were open and honest because someone needed that and it's someone needed to see that and know that they're not alone because it is like um when I was doing the October pregnancy and infant loss awareness month is what it's called um it was saying one in four women experience pregnancy and or infant loss um and that blew my mind um because I'm sitting here and of course I went through the whole pregnancy I don't remember anybody coming up to me during the pregnancy but so that was July and then October I'm reading through all this and I'm like one in four that's you know like that just statistic blew my mind because I'm like looking around at you know, I go to work, and nursing is a lot of women, and I went to work, and I was just like, you know, I just, how many people in this one room that I'm in are affected by this, mm-hmm. and, you know, you just, like, because and, of this. And are this, feeling ashamed by it, or feeling all the things that you and everybody else felt by it, so it goes back to that very first podcast that we did about, um, you know, you're not alone, yes. and things yes. are going to go wrong. And probably somebody else has experienced the same thing. So say something. Like right. recognize it and say something and lean on your community. Exactly. Lean on the people that God's given you to make it better. Right. And when you see a pregnant woman in the community, don't assume it's perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, because that was... by uh, With Evelyn, I looked pregnant early and so people would say something and of course 16 weeks I already knew about her diagnosis and such and they say things like that everyone expects a baby Mm -hmm. and you know there's people that look pregnant that just lost their baby I had that happen a whole lot I went out in public after I'd lost my baby Um, you know the world doesn't stop but you still have to go get groceries and so when people ask you when you're due and you have to say, well, my baby died last week, um, (laughs) it doesn't make it easy. So I think that, um, just a little sensitivity, exactly saying congratulations and then, you know, wishing them health is, it's so great. It would have made the world of a difference, you know? Mm. Yeah. A little sensitivity and just a great point. Just so, be careful what you say. <laughs> yes, that's what I, that leads me to that thought. So what um, I, I think that sometimes we don't talk about it because this topic because we don't know what to say. Exactly. We talked about that in our race episode. Like, there's so many landmines that we don't know where they're mm-hmm. buried mm-hmm. that we're going to say the wrong thing. So can you can you tell us what has been helpful? You said you have a great circle of friends. Like, what did they say or do that was the most helpful for you and Dalton? Oh man, um, most helpful. I don't know. Can we do the opposite of that and go mm-hmm. least helpful? Yes. <laughs> I was trying to be positive. But no, you know, oh yes, no, that's, that's way better. I might say, let's just say what we don't say. So, <laughs> no, yeah. no, that we can be positive. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so many people. On a positive note, so many people did so many amazing things. Like. Um, you know, they just used the resources they had. And the first thing that comes to mind is um, Dalton had started his job um, early in the pregnancy, I think, because when she was born, he hadn't been there enough time to use the PTO he he had accrued. So here he is losing his baby, and he technically couldn't have even taken off work paid um, because there are no paternal leaves. Um, maybe for other companies but not for the one he works for um, and he couldn't use his PTO so people who barely knew him sent out emails, who sent out emails who sent out emails an hour here, 
few hours there. They donated oh. enough PTO for him to be off for a month. And it was, you know, one hour of PTO probably wouldn't mean that much to somebody who's been accruing it for a long time. But to us, it meant everything. So, and it was just little things like wow, that. that's not that's, a little thing. That's amazing. That's yes. beautiful. Yes. I mean, oh, it was so beautiful. Um, just the time that we got to be together, um, you know. Oof, um, there's just um, a bunch of other things that people have done that are just you know that simple but you know mean have meant so much to us um i'm trying to are you good with people um bringing her up like talking to you about her so like my um one of my dear friends parents got divorced after 40 years of marriage so it's a really long time. Wow. And she said to me, she said, you know, when you lose a spouse, her mom said to me, when you lose a spouse, like people come back and check on you and they say like, hey, you know, how are you doing? It's the anniversary of when you lost your spouse. But like nobody goes back on the anniversary of a divorce and says like, oh, I'm really sorry. Hmm. You know, so you did lose a child, but we don't talk about that. We've already just established. We don't, we don't like to talk about it. So, so... You're saying, at least for you, you're not speaking for every mom who's lost right. a child. You want to talk about her. Absolutely. Say her name. You know, a lot of people are afraid to bring her up. And for me, that's... And I think a lot of the people who I've talked to have experienced um, stillbirths. They want people to say their baby's name. Um, I haven't really met many people who don't think that way. Um, you know, just, there's a group of women I've connected with, um, and we're all stillbirth moms, and we were fortunate enough to go on a retreat in November together and get to know each other a little better. Wow, that's awesome. Yes, and the biggest takeaway was just, you know, we all know each other's babies' names and their birthdays, and we've reached out to each other on those specific days, you know, like I'm thinking of you and, you know, baby's name and, um, on Evelyn's birthday, me and my husband take off and we celebrate, um, we get a cake and I know that might be weird for some, but for us, like, you know, she was just such a part of our lives. It would be weird not to, it would be weirder for us to pretend like it wasn't a thing. So this year for her birthday planted a tree and uh, we just bought a house in July and so for her birthday we had just moved in and I went and I, I I bought a very specific tree planted it might need your help on how to keep it alive but you know I had people messaging me all yeah. day that was just like I'm thinking oh, of you that's great. um and not that we were going in this direction at all whatsoever, but just an idea maybe for someone else who's looking for something is I got cards made and I plan on, I got cards made um, after she died. I don't know why, um, like I was gonna send out these thank you cards with her picture on it. Um, for me, that was very unrealistic. I um, never did it, but I have this box of cards with her picture on it and I've turned it into sending out on her birthday just a couple of thank yous. So I can also keep her memory alive to other people. Like, thank you for what you did for me. You know, this year it'll be three years. Thank you for what you did for me three years ago. Thank you for remembering, you know, my daughter on this day. Um, so if it's something, you know, to any mom that's listening out there, if, there's, if it's something that you want, you know, I've kind of created it for myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not selfish um, because she is loved and, you know, and is loved by me. And I feel like if I want to say your name, I'm going to say it, okay. <laughs> you know. And so it's, it uh, you know, goes both ways, I guess. I see a lot of gratitude in you. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of, I think that's, I'm, I'm seeing like a theme here of how you're talking to yourself, the things you're doing, like, like thanking people who blessed you and blessed Evelyn mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a key takeaway for me gratitude replaces gratitude. a lot of mm-hmm. the negatives you know you're not and you're not lying to yourself mm-hmm. you're it's not like telling yourself another story that's not true it's it's simply being grateful 
for what you can take away. Yeah. And and grateful for the people in your life and grateful for the times you got to see her. Like you yeah. said, and grateful for getting to carry her. And I just, as, as a naturally leaning um, realist, also known as pessimist, it's a good, it's a really good lesson. It's a really good lesson. It is. Um, it's, a, it's a much more beautiful way to live. I can tell you that. Yeah. And I think maybe that's from counseling. You know, like which we, we highly recommend ding, ding, for ding, every oh, bump yeah, in the road in life. Yes, I cannot Bonus preach. Yes, cannot preach. I'm I'm a huge counseling addict. That's awesome. Advocate, excuse yeah. me. Maybe addict. No, maybe yeah. Addict. Yeah. Um, <laughs> advocate. Yes. Um, but yes, I mean, maybe it's something I took away from that. But like you said, you've got to you've got to find the happiness somewhere, and this is a very this is a situation where I could easily not find it. And I mm-hmm. and I spend days, and that's okay. I've spent days not finding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And you yeah. have to have those days. Like, trust me, I hope no one thinks that I have conquered this and I've done this perfectly. Um, but just there's a rainbow somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Persevering. Gratitude. Yes. Yeah. And. Yeah. And it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Yeah. I like that message. Yeah. Yes. So speaking of gratitude, Jenna, yeah. thank you oh, so much. What a gift for coming <laughs> and telling Evelyn's story yeah, and your family's yeah. story. And thank you for be, being willing to just lay it out there for, to encourage other people. Mm-hmm. I just think that's amazing. So thank you. We so appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. We want to also say thank you to our production manager, Cheyenne Avila, mm-hmm. our tech and social media administrator, Savannah Cunningham, and our graphic designer, Emma Goodwin. He couldn't have done any of this without you. <laughs> That's right. And you can find us um, on justaskyourmom.com or on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom. Also, Instagram, Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. So if you're listening and you like us, just please rate us and leave a review. It just helps people find the podcast a little bit easier, bumps us to the top when you're looking for us. And please send us your ideas, your questions and topics. We'll soon have a Q&A segment mm-hmm. uh, coming yeah. up shortly. So we'll see you next time on Just, just Ask, Ask Your Mom. Mom.